0: Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com. I'm so glad you're with us, and I'm glad to have another opportunity for a Bible-based conversation, this time with a preacher from up north in the state of Missouri. His name is Austin Maddox and I've spent some time with Austin recently. I was up there for a little bit. He came down here for a little bit, and while he was in Texas out at the Tyler, Texas camp meeting, uh, he preached a sermon on how the Word became flesh. Loved it. It was wonderful, and I wanted to have it as a conversation so you, listener, could hear it and then also participate through listening in some of the deeper parts of the conversation that maybe couldn't be preached on. So I invite you to listen up. Let's buckle up. And begin. Okay, brother. Well, uh, if you will take a moment, I'm sure that our listeners would love to, if they didn't know who you were, if they could just hear maybe who you are, where you come from, and what you do.
1: Yeah. So um, my name is Austin Maddox. I live in Columbia, Missouri, and have for uh, going on four years now. I work with with the Rice Road Church of Christ here in Columbia uh, as an evangelist and absolutely love it. The congregation here is fantastic. And, um, while I'm working here, I'm also going to school at, um, at the C- central Christian college of the Bible, uh, in Moberly, Missouri, and, um, uh, and enjoying that working towards a degree. Um, haven't fully decided what degree yet, but, you know, learning, learning more about, um, you know, uh, language and how to study the Bible and just various things that have really helped me in my uh in in preaching career so grew up in Indiana and um spent some time in Mississippi and now I'm over here in Missouri and um yeah life is
0: good all right now you um help coordinate um the MIDMO study Mm -hmm. and so people um might know you from that uh Christian Landmark does Rice Road run that that page and um YouTube series as well
1: yeah so it's primarily me and brother Bart Shaw up here in at, at Rice Road um that that do most of the posting and recording and editing of of those videos and um about i guess it's 10 10, 12 years ago, uh, we started doing the. They, not me, but they started doing the the midmo Bible study, and uh, those videos have uh, really been helpful. And we try to go around to some of the bigger meetings, you know, uh, and record things, uh, record sermons and singings, you know, if we can. So, um, uh, that's that's part of the work that we do. Yeah, yeah.
0: Christian Landmark has just done so much good. Um, I'm thankful for that resource. I'm glad you're a part of it. And so, for our listeners out there who may know that resource but didn't know Austin, now, now they've got a connection point for you. And maybe if they know you but they didn't know the resource, they can go look it up, right? Where, where would be a good place to start there?
1: Well, uh, I, I really appreciate the plug. So, uh, <laughs> ChristianLandmark.com. Uh, you can go online and just look up the website, and, or you can go on YouTube. And, and you can find our, our content there, or uh, we also have a podcast. So uh, wherever, uh, you know, you're, you get your podcast, you can look up Christian landmark and most of the sermons that, that we have up there, we'll have a, have a link, a MP3 link to where you can listen to that, like a podcast. So
0: okay.
1: uh, yeah, a lot of various ways that, that you can listen to that content, experience that content.
0: Excellent. Well, I will do my best whenever I post this stuff on my website that I try to link Christian Landmark as well so that people can investigate that if they've not heard of it before. I have invited you on here today um, because we spent some time together. Uh, Actually, we've spent a lot of time together, I feel like, in the past month, whether it's me going up to Missouri or you coming down to Texas. But you came to the Tyler, Texas camp meeting that the Indian Hills Road Church of Christ hosts. And uh, you were one of the the two preachers that they asked to uh, speak at this meeting. And I was just in the audience. And while I was listening to a sermon that you gave called The Word Became Flesh, I thought, you know, I think uh, a lot of people would love to hear this sermon as a conversation. And so here we are um, getting ready to talk about it. But the the Scripture that it starts out with is John 1.14, and if you don't mind, I'd like to read it and then ask you a question. Mm-hmm. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So as we begin studying the Scripture and talking about how the Word became flesh, I guess I'd like to maybe crawl into your brain and figure out why did you decide to study this? What was interesting about it to you? You know, what, I guess, got you started? So
1: for the for the Tyler camp meeting, they had given us kind of a list of, of topics that they thought would be very interesting to go over, and particularly things that would be helpful for younger Christians, for younger people to start building their faith. And the theme of the meeting, which me and brother Randy Ballard, who was the other um evangelist there at that meeting who did a fantastic job, I might add, um they gave us a list of things primarily out of the book of John, and kind of we just went through that list and just kind of divvied them up as as best we you know as best we could um but didn't really have like a huge desire. To study it when I when I first got the topic, and I think that's kind of that kind of what uh, that initial reaction actually helped me. I think a little bit later on, once I got into it in more depth, because now I'm I'm very very passionate about it. Once I started kind of uncovering some of the controversies behind it and things, um, and really the importance of it. Uh, that I didn't really appreciate appreciate very much until I actually studied it out. So it, it kind of came about as, you know, nothing special. It it was kind of, you know, if you want to look at it as an assignment type of a deal. Sure. But uh but it, it it grew to something bigger than that. And and I really I'm thankful that I had that opportunity because it's not a topic that I think people would would just jump towards. Because I think we kind of, kind of imagine that we already know the answer to it. So, right. so why do we need to go through it again? And that's, right. um, that's kind of where I, kind of began my my presentation on that and my study on that. You know, why is this important?
0: Yeah, I love whenever I'm studying uh, whether it's something I've been assigned or uh, maybe I, I had a, a theme and so I'm just looking at something thinking it's going to be mundane or just kind of a, a powder puff sort of piece. <laughs> right. And and yet you start digging into it and you have those aha moments. That's probably, I mean, easily one of my top three favorite things about preaching is is when we, you discover just a huge, huge treasure in the word that you'd read a thousand times. Mm-hmm. But then whenever you dig into it and you go, oh my goodness, there is a lot more to this than I thought. And it certainly is with this this idea in John 1 14 of the Word became flesh. And I like how uh, whenever you presented it, you you began by saying that uh, it seems like the debate is settled as far as that there's the incarnation of Christ and that's a fundamental part of our faith. But then you very quickly uh, point out that well, the debate's actually not settled. And then you go through a bunch of numbers that shows that around the world, not everybody believes that the Word became flesh. Would you take a minute and just describe to our listeners uh, the scale, both outside of uh, maybe the, the Christian Christendom, the Christian faith, and then also even within the, the, the Christian movement, those who had, would had claim to be Christians, that even within our our movement, the debate's not settled. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so so this is what really kind of got the ball rolling for me. So when you think about how the Word became flesh, and you think about the fact that Christ is God incarnate, that is a fundamental part of Christendom. So where I started was, well, well who doesn't believe that? So right off the bat, I started looking at those of different faiths and pre- predominantly kind of the worldwide faiths that, that you look at that would immediately say that Christ is not God incarnate. So right away you have Islam with 1.9 billion followers, and they uh, would collectively tell you that Jesus is not God incarnate. Sure. So you move there, you have Hinduism at 1.16, Buddhism uh, 507 million Judaism 14.6 million and then another 1.19 billion people who are unaffiliated with any type of religion and all of these people you know some uh 5 billion people plus right from the very beginning worldwide would say that Jesus is not the Christ he's not the son of god right he's not deity uh he's just He's just a guy, and and many people even in that would debate whether or not he was he even existed. So from that, I think then we kind of get this mentality. In fact, I um, I presented this material at at another congregation, and and afterwards she said, you know, I'm just so glad we live in a in a Christian country, and and you know, in a in a country like this, and and I was like, uh, you know, I hate I hate to break it to you, but. We think that because we're in America, maybe we're kind of separated off from from some of this sentiment.
0: Oh, I certainly felt that way when I heard it the first time. You know you're going through these numbers, and I thought, well, at least within the the community of of people who believe right. there's going to be some sort of unity on the incarnation of Christ. But you kind of pop that bubble too <laughs> so yeah, there's a a recent study,
1: so this came out in twenty twenty two and I'm not sure how to pronounce it, whether it's Legionnaire or Ligonier. Um, someone someone may be laughing on the other side of this, sure. uh, th- hearing my pronunciation. But in it, anyway, this particular Ligonier, Legionnaire, Ministry State of Theology, and this is uh, outfit through R.C. Sproul, I think is who right. so it's through, and Lifeway Research, if I remember correct, and this is a survey in 2022.
0: Yeah. It's very at, recent.
1: Yeah. And they do this every two years, I believe of evangelical Christians in the U S. So these are, uh, you know, these are people that we might know, or that, um, you know, you might go to school with, or, sure. or um, uh, you know, wherever these are sure. the people who are going to say, yes, I'm a Christian. I go to such and such church and they found out of this that fifty-six percent agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Islam and Judaism. Um, and what's interesting too is these percentage points are all of them are up from twenty-twenty. So all the ones that we're going to talk about here are are increasing, right? Right. As, as the years go on, so fifty-six percent agree that. God accepts the worship of all religions. 26% agree that the Bible is not literally true. And this is what really caught me as interesting. 96% say that they believe in the Trinity. So that's interesting. But on the flip side of that, 43% agreed that Jesus was a great teacher, but was not God.
0: How does that make sense mathematically?
1: <laughs> well, it really doesn't. Um and then even 73% agree that Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God. So mm. what what it comes down with for me is that we have a lot of people and really a scary amount of people that maybe they know the the language, they know the christianese, you know, they they know these different words like trinity but right substantively they don't know exactly who Jesus is.
0: Yeah, and, you, you make a a, a point, uh, at least you did it, Tyler, and, and I want to give you the chance to make it now to our listeners as well, um, about, based on this information, what should my expectations be whenever I'm interacting with these people, or what, what sort of studies should I be anticipating? And I think what I appreciate about uh, your message was that based on this information, it seems like we might want to rethink where we begin. You know, traditionally, uh, doing studies about uh, what it means or what it takes to be saved mm-hmm. or a proper worship. And man, we're definitely not trying to erode doctrine, but simply we're trying to figure out where's the most healthy place to start with folks. Would you take a minute to share with us your thoughts based on this data where you think it's a good place for us to begin?
1: Yeah, um, uh, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes we're, and, and rightfully so, we're very concerned with kind of, you know, uh, I go to the Church of Christ and maybe somebody else goes to uh, maybe a baptist church or maybe you know a presbyterian church or, or or whatever the the name might be and we're concerned with what do they know about this particular topic you know like maybe it's baptism or maybe it has to do with the lord's supper um those are kind of the big ones that that we really look at maybe it's um you know the inerrancy of scripture or maybe it's how the church is organized you know if it's with a pastor system or plurality of elders or something like that. And not to say that those topics aren't important, but what really gets, I think, to the heart of the issue and where where we really need to start asking folks is, what do you believe about Jesus? Mm. Do you believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, that he is God incarnate? And and that's actually a really easy, I think that's a much easier topic to broach than than some of the other ones, in fact. And maybe we should have been doing this all along, you know, where we, we can find, you know, maybe we can find some common ground where they say, oh, yeah, you know, absolutely, I believe that Jesus is God incarnate. So, okay, great, so do I. And now we have common ground where we can build on that, and now we can go talk about other topics um but i think it's is very significant when we think about you know passages like john 8:24 jesus said unless you believe that i am he you will die in your sins so unless uh-huh. we have this knowledge right from the beginning that jesus is in fact god incarnate then we can talk about all kinds of theological philosophical ideas but um how useful are those really going to be if if we don't have that
0: that ground groundwork laid. You know, one of the questions that I've found really helpful and I think I've said it on this program several times but um there's a book by Greg Cole called Tactics. Are you familiar with that book? I'm not actually. Okay, it's fantastic. Um he is a apologist, a Christian apologist and the the different tactics that he has in this book about sharing Christ with others, I think it goes right alongside what you're talking about here. And he's really looking for clarification of what people know mm-hmm. so that he knows how to begin having conversations with them in a healthy way. And one of his basic questions, uh, I think it's called the Columbo method, um, but he says, what do you mean by that? And mm-hmm. so I'd like to Ask you that question because you've used this word a few times and I know we're getting ready to kind of get into some of the meat of the study, but you've you've used the word incarnate. And Mm -hmm. I'd just like to know what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I think that's (laughs) that is the question, right? So incarnate, when we talk about this, sometimes maybe it's helpful to look at that word as opposed to other words. So when we talk about Jesus and we say that he is the Christ, or we say that he's the son of God, or we say that he is God, what exactly are we saying? So there's right. lots of people that will say, you know, he was, he was a man and that's all he was. He was just a good man, or maybe he was just a good teacher or a good prophet. In fact, those are some of the um, the things that a lot of people say, you know, see, we, we believe in the same person, uh, we ought to just really be agreed on this. But when we talk about Jesus being God incarnate, that literally means that, that God came down to earth and inhabited a human body. So Okay, okay. Or, or at least that's how I would describe it. I, I'm sure there's there may be better definitions around there, but um, that is how I would describe what it means to be incarnate
0: incarnate so god uh as the scripture says um back when we first began the word became flesh that's right god inhabited a body Mm -hmm. uh, for a certain amount of time okay okay well there's other scriptures um i know you've got john 1 verse 1 through 3 this is how his gospel begins um if i were to read it uh Could I then ask you another question? Sure. Okay. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. So I think there there is a natural question of, well, what does it mean to be incarnate? But another question is, what does it mean by the Word? And there's a capital W, you know, in the Mm -hmm. beginning was the Word. And it's capitalized, so when I read that, I'm I'm going to assume that that's got a deity or some sort of god connection. And uh, so, can you help me make sense of of what this word is and why why it's there? Sure. So, um, it's interesting
1: in if you look back in the in the Greek language. So, the word for word is the Greek word logos. Or that's how it's um, that that's how it's presented there in in that particular passage that's the word that John uses so um, also it's interesting back in in the Greek language they they didn't actually have capital letters so that's something that has been added for English speakers to know that we're talking about a uh, a person or an entity right so And the reason we know this, I think, primarily comes from verse 14, where it talks about how the Word became flesh. So we automatically know the identity of the Word, because John then goes on in his gospel in chapter 1 to describe exactly who the Word is that became flesh, and that, of course, is Jesus. But kind of back to your question, you know, maybe why does he use this word, Word? To describe him. Um, right. So Logos, if in, in kind of classical Greek, was, it, it meant a little bit more than word. And I think that's, that's what happens when we have translations. Um, sometimes we lose a little bit, we, we capture the idea, the basic understanding, but we lose some of the emphasis. Right, And with Logos, in classical greek it meant something more akin to the expression of the idea so it was a little bit okay. more philosophically charged in that way rather than just word or words like we would read on on a page so in fact there's another greek word for words on a page which is uh which is rama um and th- there's there's some distinction made between these two ideas. So, it's not just that Jesus is a word, but he is the word. He is the expression of the idea. Right. And in this sense, he is the expression of God. So or, Okay. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Now, the expression of God it makes me think of Hebrews 13 uh verse 1 through 3 where where it, it says that he is the image, mm-hmm. right? He's the the. I'm looking. I'm trying to find that scripture. Um, oh, you have it in your notes. Look at us. We have a similar mind. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> well, I I guess I should say we both understand that there's a connection in the word. It's not about us. It's about that. We we understand this point based on what the apostles wrote. That's so, right. um, the the irradiance of his glory. Mhm the exact representation that's kind of the the what I was thinking and then I noticed you had it in here am I jumping the gun if we start talking about this no not at all okay we'll um, take it away
1: yeah i think these these ideas flow they just flow right into each other so um again jesus is the uh he's the expression of the idea and uh, i think i have it uh i primarily Preach out of the New King James. So that's what I have this, this verse in. Uh-huh. And it talks about there the express image of his person. So that comes from a word which is a Greek word, character, and which is where we get the word character or characteristics. So oh. when we th- think about someone who possesses the same characteristics, or even more appropriately, the exact characteristics of someone else. I, we understand exactly what that's what that's describing so what the hebrew writer is essentially saying is that when you look at god the father and you look at jesus god the word you're seeing the same thing they're they're both equally god they are jesus is the express image of god the father he is has all the characteristics of god the father
0: okay the characteristics of, so yeah, I think it's easy for me, um, you know, play devil's advocate in that and say, well, it seems like this is where a a great proof text that he, he was a created being. He's not God. He's just an image or like a reflection, but you're saying this has more to do with just his character than, than being like a a duplicate.
1: Correct. Yeah. It's not, it's not that he, that God recreated himself or, um, and I think that's kind of where people maybe get confused with the title son of God. Um, you know, whereas, you know, like a father to son, maybe uh, you might see characteristics of the son in the father, but maybe not all of them. Uh, it's not that type of relationship. I, I think that's really important to understand is that just because he is described as the son of God does not make him a created being or or duplicate being so,
0: sorry, go ahead. would you just answer the or continue answering that question logically? I know you've already talked about it, but if it doesn't make him a duplicate, what what does it mean?
1: Um, as far as the title "Son of God," right? So, um, "Son of God" is is a title that really refers to his incarnation. And I think this is, this is highlighted in passages like Psalm 110 verse one, where um, you are my, or the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies uh, your footstool. Right. Uh, You have other passages where it talks about you are my son today, I have begotten you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So again, it's in the continuation of time. So we have to understand that um, this this doesn't happen before time began. This happens uh, during the existence of time and ergo the, the existence of the universe. Today I have begotten you. So this is referring to when he came down from heaven and um, was incarnate into um, the, the form of a bond servant. So I'm thinking of like Philippians chapter two.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. My, that's My thoughts were going there as well. If there's a scripture that helps explain the incarnation where Jesus' divinity is also seen, it would be Philippians 2. What, what does this scripture say?
1: So in verse 5 of Philippians 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So okay. uh, this is a passage, and, and, and I don't want it to be confused here. It, we're not talking about two different gods. We're talking about uh, a triune. We're talking about the Trinity, that it is uh, one God in three persons. So Christ, God the Word, is one person of the Godhead. So I think uh, I want to make that distinction as well. But um, verse six talks about who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery. Um, I think there's a Greek word there that talks about how it wasn't something to be grasped at, like he Mm -hmm. didn't have to reach out and try to be or try to attain that because he was that. He was in the form of God. But even though he was equal with God in the form of God, even though he was God, he then decides to make himself of no reputation take upon him the form of a bondservant come in the likeness of men.
0: I really enjoyed when you preached this, that even though these scriptures are very clear about the nature of of Christ being divine, uh, becoming the incarnate word to dwell among men, uh, you you asked the question well how is this possible i love your answer i think there's the, the your candor and and willingness to um, speak quite plainly is is uh, a breath of fresh air and so i wanted to give you that opportunity to do it again for our listeners and that is um, if if jesus is fully god and fully man at the same time how is this possible
1: well i'll say what i say then uh, what I said then, I have no idea. <laughs> I truly don't. And and nor does anyone else really for that matter. And, uh, you know, when somebody comes along and and tries to say, oh, well, I know exactly how, how all that happened. How? How could you possibly know that? It's, you know, it's just, we have so many passages about it. It's not from a lack of information um, that this remains a mystery necessarily, but it's it's so beyond our comprehension that right. we can know something happened and know it existed and not know the ins and outs, the mechanics, the, the physics of it, um, but still believe that it happened, still have absolute faith that it happened.
0: Well so, a scripture that I always think about in situations like this when when we have the information and yet there's still something that boggles the mind is Ecclesiastes three eleven. Uh, it's a favorite of mine. And the Jonathan Edwards version says something like, uh, God has set eternity in their hearts, except no one can understand it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can look it up in, in the Bible to maybe find the, the correct verbiage. But the, the basic premise is that we have, there's something almost built in, and I believe it's just built into our, our, our spirit, that we long to know more than just the, the the physical world we live in we appreciate that there's more to this life than th- than to quote unquote eat drink tomorrow we die and yet we struggle when it comes to understanding things that last eternally including Jesus and the incarnate Word um, because of time I, I I'm gonna ask this you said it's not for a lack of proof or a lack of of scriptures what scriptures do you typically look at if you can give them to me Rather quickly, but what scriptures do you look at to to at least appreciate theologically that it is possible and it is true that Jesus is was fully God and fully man in his time on earth right, so I'll
1: just kind of go rapid fire and it's it's mind boggling some people say oh well well christ he never he never made any claims that he was that he was god well that's just that's just patently false so um from the very beginning, when when Jesus was born, we have Luke two verse eleven. There's born to you um, this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, literally Christos kurios, um, expressing his divinity. You have the I am statements from from Jesus, um, John eight fifty eight. Most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. John ten thirty. I and my Father are one. Um, John twelve forty five, John seventeen five. there are, well, there's lots of passages in the book of John as it turns out, but, um, uh, all of these are expressing the fact that, and, and really is Jesus claiming this of himself that, uh, I am in fact, God incarnate. I and my father are one. Sure. Um, I am the, I am from, from the burning bush passage. Right. Um, right. Right there in the book of Exodus. So,
0: okay. Now, I think a, a natural segue into the next part of this conversation um, is is to kind of lay out for people who go, "Yeah, you're right. Um, I believe that too." Well, let's continue spelling out for people what they believe, if in fact they agree with what you've just said. And and for those who are listening who maybe have a little bit of a different view, and maybe they're thinking, I don't know if I believe that, what would be the, you know, where would people go if they were to follow this line of teaching? What I'm getting at is, what are the theological implications for this belief that Jesus is incarnate? What do we what do we come to conclude? And maybe not all of them, as far as uh, we don't have time, hours and hours on end, to talk about our theological implications, but you've kind of cataloged some pretty important beliefs, and I'd want to give you the chance to express that to our listeners. Well, we're going to stop it right there, and if you want to hear these theological implications, and if you want to know some practical applications— You're going to need to come back next week and listen to part two of this conversation. I really enjoyed Austin coming on. Thank you, brother. And uh, for those who want to get this as soon as it comes out, you need to subscribe to the podcast. So whether you listen on Spotify or Apple or Google Music or SoundCloud, wherever you're at, uh, find the Pure and Simple Bible subscribe button and push it so that you can subscribe and have it automatically downloaded to your device next week whenever this comes out. And if you're waiting for that time to come quickly, you're looking for resources that could be helpful for you, check out all of the previous episodes. There's over 200 episodes of this podcast. There's YouTube videos on Pure and Simple Bible. And uh, also, for those who are motivated and ready to start studying the Bible with others, there's a lot of workbooks for you to use and download. And they're absolutely free to download. So go over to pureandsimplebible.com and check those out. I want you to remember that God loves you very much, and I do too, and Lord willing, we'll see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you. Well, his roses.